We've come together today to break bread in a couple of different ways. We've come together to break the bread that symbolizes the body of Christ, the blood which represents or which is represented by the fruit of the vine which we partook of. We also come together to break bread in the sense of opening God's word. And I invite you to open to the book of John chapter 6 where we read from just a few moments ago as we think about Jesus as the bread. And while you're opening there, our focus today is to be on Jesus. Our Bible study was all about Jesus. Our songs are about Jesus. Our study is about Jesus because Jesus is truly the focus of who we are, what we are, and what we want to be. To our visitors, as we said, Thank you for being here. We are so honored by your presence, and we appreciate so very much the fact that you care about spiritual things. You are an encouragement to us, and we appreciate so very much the good that you are doing simply by being here today. I want us to focus in on John chapter 6 this morning, which I have decided to call a consequential text. And you may say, well, does that mean that there are inconsequential chapters of the Bible? Well, of course not. Every chapter, every verse, every passage, every parable, every account of Jesus' healing is consequential. But John 6 is truly important. And I appreciate Brother Matt choosing songs that shared with us the importance of this. I appreciate Brother Mitch taking us to Luke chapter 24, where that scene of the resurrection was witnessed. And I appreciate so much the opportunity to talk about this particular book and this particular chapter today. If we had lots of time, we would read all of chapter 6, which is one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. We will read a healthy portion of it together today. But I want us to start by acknowledging that when you think about John, when you think about the gospel according to John, it is different than what we oftentimes call the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it differs from the other three on a number of different ways or in a number of different ways. One of the things that we need to appreciate is that when John writes about the life of Jesus, his focus is primarily on the deity of Jesus as being paramount. In fact, if you go back and read John chapter 1, it will say that in the beginning was the Word. And John is one of the writers who doesn't focus on Jesus' birth or Jesus' early life, but rather focuses on the fact that he was an eternal figure and is an eternal figure who needs to be appreciated as such. The other thing that really has always struck out to me about the Gospel of John is that its setting is primarily on the final weeks or even the last week of the life of Jesus. You know, as you read through the 28 chapters of Matthew or the 16 chapters of Mark or the 24 chapters of Luke, they work in progression in a sense that the closer you get to the end, the closer you get to the end, and the closer you get to the rebirth of Jesus in the sense of his resurrection. John is a little bit different in that by the time you roll around to John chapter 6, 7, and 8, which is still in the first third of the book, 
you are already in the final moments of the life of Jesus the Christ because of the way that John chooses to focus his writing on those last few days of the life of Jesus. Chapter 6 is a chapter that teaches us in many ways about the popularity of Jesus, which was in many ways the reason for his departure from Galilee because as good Bible students, one of the things that you appreciate is that from chapters 7 on through the end of the book of John, most of the book is focused on Judea and this chapter helps us to explain why and it gives us a early look at an application that we want to make at the conclusion of our study together today. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 6 and I want us to scan through some verses and then pick up in the reading here in just a moment. In my Bible, which has subheadings, much like yours, the first dozen verses or so is about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And our young people, even all the way down to the second and third grade, could tell you about Jesus feeding those people with just those two small fish and those five barley loaves. And that at the conclusion, Jesus miraculously had fed all of those people and they still had baskets of fragments left over. And by the way, we believe that to be a real account. Let's go on the record right now and let's say it publicly that we believe that that really happened. And that makes us odd to many in the world. But that's okay. I'd rather be odd to the world and known to God than odd to God and known to the world. I'd rather be a follower of Jesus who believes these things to be true. If you pick up in about verse 14 or 15, we see where Jesus walks on the water. And verse 21 says, They willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. By the way, I understand verse 21 to mean that that was a very rapid trip. That boom, they were there. Jesus can do miraculous things. And we believe, let's go on the record, that that was real. That that really happened. Then in verse 22, the Bible begins where John writes, and he says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which the disciples had entered, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone, However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they had ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. Now, remember that concept of eating bread. And Brother Nathan talked about this a little bit in our Wednesday night invitation talk. In looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42, down to verse 46, I talked about it a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the idea of the things that we were to be devoted to. But here they are, reflecting on the miraculous eating of the bread from the first 14 verses or so of chapter 6. And then it says in verse 24, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? I've always thought that was an interesting question. Jesus could have answered that in so many different ways as to how he got there, when he got there, and the means by which he arrived. But Jesus simply says, I'm saying to you that I see through you. I see where your perspective is and I see where your priorities lie. 
He says, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give to you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. They said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. By the way, I believe that verse 29 is consequential in a consequential text where it says that belief is a work. Sometimes faith is a work. It requires work and effort on our part. We read then through the the next few verses just a few moments ago. And then in verse 34, they said, Lord, give us this bread always. And then Jesus says to them, beginning in verse 35, as we read on down through the text, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that Of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now then, verse 41, what's going to happen? We already know what's going to happen. Even without reading it, the Jews are offended by the teachings of Jesus. In verse 41, they complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said among themselves, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answers, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. And we'll pause there. That's a lengthy reading, and there's so much in that text. And this is not so much a sermon just about these particular verses, though we are anchored in these 15 to 20 verses. But I want us to appreciate that it is clear that the concept of the bread was the central theme of this particular teaching point. And the backdrop was the physical bread, because there's a physical bread and a figurative bread, right? There's the bread that they ate when they were on that particular place where the 5,000 men were fed. And then Jesus comes along and says, you are not following me. You are not listening to me because you care about spiritual things and spiritual overtones, but because of physical stuff. 
And it reminds me in many ways of Romans chapter 14 where it says that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking and the physical things, but about the spiritual things like righteousness and joy and grace and peace. Jesus, by my count, in this particular passage that we read from, and I know it was a lengthy passage to read from, and we read it rather quickly. Go back and read it slowly as if you were reading it for the first time with fresh eyes later this week. But Jesus uses the phrase, I am, in John repeatedly. By the way, that's a good way of studying the book of John, right? Is just to go through and find all the I am's that Jesus talks about. Where he talks about, I am the door, I am the life, I am the way, and I am the bread. And he does so four times in this chapter. Go back and pick them up very quickly and maybe highlight them in your Bible or put a star next to it. But in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Then in verse 41, he goes down where the Jews complained about him because he says, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Then in verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Verse 48 is a sentence all to itself. I am the bread of life. And then verse 51, where Jesus yet again for a fourth and a final time in this context says, the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world, because I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And again, remember that the backdrop was the famous feeding of the 5,000 that had just transpired with fish and bread just chapters earlier. That being said, with everything that we've said and everything that we've remarked, and there's a lot of familiarity with everything that we pointed out. I want us to think about three very brief observations or lessons that we learn about the bread. Why is this, another way of answering, another way of asking the question is, is why is all this in scripture? It's there for a reason. Because we need to learn something from it. That there are a number of valuable lessons that are learned by referring to himself as the bread. I want to talk about those three things very briefly this morning. Number one, it's easy to think in physical terms. And we get caught up in thinking about physical things in physical ways for physical means. This has already been a theme of Jesus' teaching as was recorded by the Apostle John. Go back, and we're not going to read chapters 3 and 4, but... John chapter 3 is most known because of verse 16. But do you remember the context of the statement of verse 16? It was Jesus teaching a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was, shall we say, confused about the physical versus the figurative. About the real versus the not real. About the physical versus the spiritual. And Jesus says, famously in chapter 3 and verse 3, assuredly or truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus scratches his head and says, that makes no sense to me. I can't figure this thing out. And Jesus goes on to say, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus answered and said in verse 10 in response to Nicodemus, 
are you the teacher of Israel, and do you know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. In this context, in verse 15, he says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, verse 17, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, Nicodemus is trying to figure out this idea of the physical versus the spiritual. Then in chapter 4, where the Samaritan woman meets the Messiah, you remember what happens? She says, why are you talking to me as a Samaritan woman? For we know that you do not have dealings with the Samaritans because we are outsiders. We are the, the lower level, the lower echelon of individuals as, as rendered by most of your family. And she says, where do I get this water? What kind of water was she looking for? Physical H2O. What kind of water was Jesus speaking of? Figurative, non-literal, spiritual water that provides salvation for all mankind. And so it's no surprise that John in chapter 6, who is not the only writer who talks about the feeding of the 5,000, because it's interesting that while John is not one of the synoptic writers, as we typically talk about, both Matthew and Mark and Luke all talk about the events of the feeding of the 5,000. All that being said, to point out that apparently John says, here's yet another example of Jesus talking about something in ways that in, in, at some level confused a man or a woman, but apparently makes more sense because of what he's trying to get across. Jesus recognized very clearly in verses 25 and 26 that they were concerned with the physical and he condemned the crowds for this limited and selfish attitude. And it reminds me of a preacher who was working in a far eastern country and he says, when you boil it down, people need two things. They need rice and they need Christ. And it, you know, it rhymes well, so it's easy to remember. And what is it that you are more interested in? Are you interested in rice or are you interested in Christ? And I actually asked that question of a couple with whom I and another brother were studying probably 10 years ago. And they said, we are more interested in the rice. I got to appreciate their honesty at least. Because they weren't interested in the spiritual things. You see, the first time we came, we came with some gift cards for food and restaurants and things like that. But the second time we came, we came only with the gospel. We said, well, we're here to talk to you about the spiritual things because that's the focus of who we are as Christians. And that's what we are as about as members of the Lord's church. By the way, as a side note, it's the only time I ever got a call that I thought was threatening. <laughs> I got a call from him the next day. He says, it's better that we not meet any time in the future. I said, okay, well, we won't do that. Well, the fact of the matter is, is we need to consider two aspects of the truth for us. Number one, we need to be careful thinking about what we deserve. 
because it seems to me that the people who had been fed by Jesus, the people who had been healed by Jesus, the people who had been watered by Jesus were now thinking in so much of a physical way that they were thinking about entitlement. Jesus, what are you going to do for me today? What sign are you going to show for us? But the fact of the matter is, is 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us that life is not about the physical things. 1 Timothy chapter 6, which is the context of the idea of the root of all forms of evil, says in verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out of it. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Furthermore, we need to be clear about what it is that we offer to others. And that reminds me of Acts chapter 3, very early in the church in verse 6. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, there's a statement that is made as recorded by the Holy Spirit. Peter said, silver and gold, I ain't got none. He says, I don't have that. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And while we don't have miraculous powers in the, 20, in, in the 21st century now, while we don't enjoy that privilege, because we don't need it, because God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, as rendered by Peter in one of his early letters, in one of his early chapters, the fact is, is we need to be clear about what we offer to others. There is nothing wrong with you as a member of the Lord's church helping someone physically. And indeed, there's biblical principle for doing so. But we need to make sure that when people come to us, whether it be collectively, for example, to this building, as people will sometimes come and say, you know what, I need to pay my rent, I need to pay my mortgage, I need to make my car payment, I need gasoline for my car, I need food for my kids, whatever the case may be, we need to be clear that we are about spiritual things. That is the focus of who we are what we are and what we are about. We are here not to just think about the physical things, but about the spiritual things. Secondly, accessing the bread, which Jesus speaks about, requires work. And I put that in italics. Jesus is never one, nor was he ever one who tried to pull the wool over the eyes of someone who is about to follow him. When someone comes to Jesus and says, I'd like to follow you, and Jesus says, well, that'll be easy to do. No problem at all. Just sign right here and away we go. Jesus stops him and says, hold up. Before you say you want to serve me, you need to understand what you're getting yourself into because Jesus was one who never tries to trick people into serving him. And it's unfortunate because in the religious world in which we live today, there are people who are duped into serving Jesus and never actually serve Jesus. To know about him, but actually never know about him. People who are tricked into believing that, hey, I don't have to do anything in order to serve my God. All I have to do is say the sinner's prayer and away I go. Like we talked about in our Bible study this morning, we are to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should abound in wisdom, abound in knowledge, abound in grace, and all the spiritual things that we otherwise talk about. Consider, if you would, the statement that is made by Jesus in verse 27 in our text. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Rice or Christ? Jesus says, forget the rice, focus on the Christ. Jesus says, don't labor and focus all of your attention for life on this earth. And there is nothing wrong with providing for yourself and providing for your families and providing for others. And there are biblical principles that we can expound on that teach that that's what's important. But those things can't be more important than the spiritual side of things. The fact is, is manna satisfies physical needs for a while as evidenced in this Old Testament reference, but Jesus Christ satisfies spiritual needs forever. And there is a striking difference between those two things. Note, if you would, that this is not in any way in conflict with other New Testament teachings. For example, let's look at two passages that you are likely familiar with, one in the book of Ephesians and one in the book of James. In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, By grace you have been saved through faith. He says, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. In my Bible, I underline the word works because that word is used on a couple of occasions in that particular text, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By the way, that we should walk in them tells me that I've got to be moving forward. When a person walks, they move in a direction. So this passage, which is often used by people in denominations to say that baptism is not essential for salvation, is actually, it seems to me, the perfect passage or one of many perfect passages that teach that there is something that we do need to do in order to be saved. That there are actions we need to take and works that we need to be engaged in in order to be pleasing to God. Furthermore, in James chapter 2, in verse 20 beginning, James the writer attacks and talks about this particular subject. And he says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, he says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works, is useless or is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and the works faith was made perfect? The scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. And then verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And so it's, again, interesting to me that the people will go to text in the world, that people in the world who teach that a person can be saved by faith only, and the only time that faith only is ever referenced in Scripture is to prove that man is not saved by faith only, but rather by a diligent obedience to our God, both in baptism and in faithful living going forward. John's purpose is that following Jesus must be thought out. 
And if you go back and read Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, you'll see where Jesus clearly talks about the importance of counting the cost. Because following Jesus needs to be thought out. There's never been a time, and there never will be a time, where someone studies with me and comes to the conclusion and says, I'm ready to be baptized, I'm ready to become a Christian, wherein either A, I haven't already addressed it, or B, I'm going to very quickly address, you need to understand what you're doing. You need to understand the commitment you're making. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 2 when he says, it would be better for that person to have never believed on Jesus than to believe on him and then renege on the faith. Because we understand the seriousness of the commitment that we made and the commitment that we're asking those who are not Christians to make today. Which brings me to this third and final observation, and that is when you think about the bread, it is not an event. It's not a one-time thing. Believing in Christ, serving him, is not a one-time event, but rather a process that requires both time, dedication, and perseverance. Indeed, when we confess Jesus as the Christ, when we are baptized, that is not the only time that we confess that Jesus is the Christ. Our brother Mitch talked about that by saying, we are making a declaration today. We are declaring to the entire world that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And you know, we began by saying that we believe that these miraculous things, whether it be the feeding of the 5,000, whether it be the boat immediately going to the shore, whatever the case may be, we believe these things to be real. The people in the world will say, are you serious? I mean, you believe that with some, a couple of fish and some loaves of bread that you can feed 5,000 men? Absolutely we believe that. Because with Jesus, anything is possible. And nothing is impossible with him, as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Believing in Christ is rather something that requires our time and dedication. Go back to John chapter 6, one final time here, to verse 57. John chapter 6, where we've been spending so much time. This time, go down to verse 57. Let's, let's pick up in verse 53, where we stopped reading. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, verse 54, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. And then he concludes in verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna. They're dead. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Jesus talks about feeds in a continual sense of the word. Not fed. Not a one-time event. But rather we feed on the bread all the time. And we are quenched by it, we are satisfied with it, but yet it leaves us wanting more. And that's one of the great things about Bible study, isn't it? You learn something like, wow, I'd never seen that before in that passage, or I never thought about that before, or I never thought about that comment that someone made in Bible class. And then you are left wanting more, are you not? Because 
Jesus says it's about feeding in a continual sense. And he makes the connection to life. Because you and I know that if we do not eat, we do not drink, that we will die eventually. The same is true spiritually. That if we do not consume Jesus on a daily basis, we will either A, become very weak as Christians, or B, become dead altogether. And this is why, as we said just a few moments ago, we are very uh, bold print in big font that serving Jesus is a lifetime commitment when we teach others about Jesus the Christ. There's no fine print. There's no man at the end of the commercial for when you become a Christian that reads very quickly all the different disclaimers that the lawyer wrote. But rather, Jesus says, if you're going to serve me, it's going to come with a cost, and a heavy one at that. And he's writing, of course, and speaking to people in the first century who faced far superior threats than what we face in the 21st century Western world. But John 6 is, in conclusion, a consequential text. Remember, as we said, as we began, now as we draw to a close, that the scene for much of the book of John, once you get past chapter 6, is no longer the familiar Galilee, but in the final week to two weeks of the life of Jesus, depending on how you divide up those days, it is now to the southern section of Judea. Why does Jesus make this geographic change? For the same reason that he's making a thematic change. Because he's tired of people who are only focused on the physical and rather wants to focus himself on the spiritual. It's now clear why. These people were focused on the physical. They were lazy in their spiritual walk. And they wanted a quick fix to their problems. Just like that man who back in the book of Acts chapter 3, when Peter says to him, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, he thought that's what's going to be what fixes my problem. Of course, Peter had something greater. God has something greater. We have something greater. Let me ask this question as we conclude and with an obvious answer. And that is, is it ever possible that we could be too focused on the physical? Sure. Is it ever possible that we would want, uh, that we would be described as being lazy on our spiritual walk? That could happen. And is it possible that we could want a quick fix to our problems? You know, if I just had some more money, more relationships, if I just had some more business opportunities, life would be better. And while those things do matter, what matters most of all is obedience to Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. And that's what we stress as members of the Lord's church, as members of this congregation, as individual Christians. That's what we stress. That's what we teach others. And that's what we want to teach you. And that's what we want those who are not Christians to appreciate together today. If you're not a child of God, we are hoping that you'll make the conclusion that you need to be concerned about the spiritual things more than the physical things. More than your physical health, 
more than your financial freedom or financial future, more than your family relationships, is important being a Christian and being a faithful child of God. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe shall be condemned. Mark 16, verse 16. And so we hope that you'll become a Christian today. If you're not uh, a faithful Christian, you've already made the choice to become a Christian maybe years ago, but you're not living correctly, or you need help of brothers and sisters, as often as expressed by each other, we would welcome the opportunity to help you, to assist you, or to encourage you. If we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand, while we sing the song selected.